listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lori. Her and her husband, Steve, are like right on the verge of being our very next covenant partners. They've got all their paperwork done. We've got all that stuff finished. I think all they have left is to uh, do the Zoom where they have to sit and listen to me for an hour talking about our history and what we believe and how that all works together. Listen, if you were hearing that saying, oh, yeah. I was wanting to be a covenant partner too. Well, guess what? I've got all the paperwork and would love to talk to you about what that means. Uh, You won't hear us talk about membership because back uh, in the 90s, I just remember uh, American Express having their commercial talking about membership having its privileges. Well, when you have privileges, you have expectations, right? And if something doesn't meet your expectations, you're calling customer service wanting to know why things aren't going the way you want it to. So we said, we don't want to have members. We'd rather have partners because with partnership comes camaraderie and we work together on the same goal. So what we have is covenant partners. And if that's something that you would like to uh, learn more about, please see me before you leave today and or any time afterward as you go home think about it. I'd love to be able to talk to you about what that looks like and how you too can become a, uh, a partner in covenant with us um, trying to obey the uh, Great Commission together as a, as a family. I would argue that right now, it seems that our nation is more divided than I can ever remember. I mean, I, I, I can remember there being division even as a child, different issues cropping up, but it just seems like in the last decade, our society has been defined by division. And, and in this particular setting, in this particular society, facts don't matter in that division. I mean, you can bring facts to the table if you want to, but it really isn't about what is true and what is false. It's about how you feel about what is true to you or false to you. And so really, you know, sometimes you think, well, if all we just get together and we sit around a table and we bring out the facts and, you know, let's give everybody an opportunity to share what they think, but then we go back to the facts, then we can get up with a solid plan for moving forward. Not in 2022. If it looks anything like 21 did, that's going to be more of the same. You can lay facts out, you can lay truth out, and it seems the more truth you bring to the table— the more dug in each party gets on where they stand. The more truth you bring, the more divided we come. It feels like it's never been any worse than it is now. But what we're going to discover is, is that this goes back 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. Same kind of division, the same kind of inability to see facts, to see truth, and then to come out on the right side of that truth Jesus says, division is here, and it's my fault. It's my fault there's so much division in my people. Jesus transitions his teaching. And and right here, we we started in chapter number 12, and and Jesus is 
is teaching his disciples, teaching his followers as they're on their way to Jerusalem. Now, Luke is, he's kind of laying out his gospel as though this is a movement from Galilee to Jerusalem. We know that chronologically, if you bring all the gospels into play, there's going to be a lot of movement back and forth between Judea and Galilee uh, as Jesus is is going about his ministry. Uh, But what Luke is doing is he's just giving us uh, sort of a, a big uh, scenes by which to, to put all of this together as he's painting a portrait of Jesus, the one who has come as God's Messiah. And he's painting this picture for his readers. And so we've seen his ministry in Galilee. And now Luke is giving us this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And more specifically, this journey from Galilee to his passion, his suffering, his rejection, his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. And along this way, what Jesus is doing is he's primarily teaching his disciples. He's primarily instructing those that have made the decision to embrace him as Messiah. He's calling others to to move beyond just considering that maybe he's the one and just go all in and say, we we believe he is, all the facts are there, so we're just going to jump in and we're going to embrace him as Messiah. And so he's teaching those who are in the crowds, who are followers of his, those who are maybe going to be followers of his. He's teaching those who are hearing and are curious, but not probably going to be convinced because there's too much pressure involved and putting all my eggs in the basket with Jesus. But he's inviting them not to succumb to the pressure, but come on in. The water's fine. You can trust me. And he's also teaching those that are at the back of the room not to throw y'all under the bus that are in the back of the room because that's not what you're doing. But those that were in the back, just listening to kind of wait to see if they can catch him in something they can hold him responsible for so that they can move him out of the way. Why? Because they had already rejected him. They had already decided that what he has said is false. What he has done has been in the power of the enemy, Satan, and that he is definitively not Messiah, and we will not receive him. We will not follow him. We're just trying to find a way to get rid of him. Probably in the congregation today, we probably don't have anyone who says, we've decided that we're rejecting Jesus And we're just here to see if we can find this guy say something that's going to make the gospel uh, obviously false. Well, probably not anybody here today doing that. There may be, though, some who are curious. Maybe you're a part of a family and you're curious about the things that you've heard and the things that they're following. And so you're just kind of wrestling with these things internally. I don't know that I'm all in, but you know what? It's a... You know, it's a cool place to be. You know, they, they, they're nice folks. And yeah, I'll go just get mom off my back. Or maybe you're someone who is really wrestling with whether or not you just want to know about Jesus a lot. Or if you want to truly be a follower of his. And you're wrestling on whether to get in or stay out. Or if you can have one foot in the water and one foot out. And you're just kind of wrestling. And then there's some who are here that I believe are all in. You're followers of Jesus. You've placed your faith and trust in him and him alone. And you're just wanting to know how to live for him by faith every day. And and you come in because you want to be around folks that you know love Jesus also and will love you and will do this life together with you. And what Jesus has to say in these chapters has something for everybody. On the heels of what he was teaching that we studied last week, As he talked about faithful servants and unfaithful servants. And he opened the door, he opened the lid to something that he had not yet told them about before. And that is the notion of him going away and returning. Now what Jesus had told them was that he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be rejected. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified. But that he was going to be raised again from the dead. 
So they had been told this information. They had been told about the fact that he would be going away in death but coming back. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus was talking about in this, in this little lesson he, he was sharing with them when we, when we talked last week. It seems like he's talking about going away on a long journey and then returning and finding those who claim to be his servants either busy about his work or identifying themselves as not truly believers because their life and their goals and their ambitions are completely opposite to his and how that they will be treated based on their faithfulness or belief in him or unfaithfulness, their disbelief and rejection of him. And it's on that that Jesus then begins to talk more in a warning way. He begins to speak more in a negative way about those who have or are going to reject him and how believers, how those that are following him, need to be aware of how their life is going to be affected by those who have rejected. So Jesus says, and he's going to go through several little kind of like little illustrations, and we'll try to break these down and then come back to it. Notice verse 49. On the heels of him talking about whoever has much information, much ability to know who he is, then much is going to be required of them. Jesus says in verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is Accomplished. Jesus is talking about, uses two like metaphors here, fire and baptism. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth. That sounds really like bad, doesn't it? Sounds like something to be frightened of. Uh, you know, I, I would be worried if the forecast wasn't for rain or for wind, but if we had a forecast of fire today, I would be a little worried about that, right? So, that he said, I came to throw fire on the earth, caused, I believe, their ears to go, what? What is he talking about? Well, we don't really have a lot to go on here. Now, Jesus always says what he means. Jesus always means what he says. That just doesn't always mean we understand what he means about what he says. That's what you're going to find the problem with the Gospels. All the time, Jesus is saying things. You go, I don't know what he meant. It might have been this, that, and that. But he meant what he said, and we don't want to miss the bigger point. So we don't want to, we don't want to dig so deep that we dig ourselves a hole and fall in it here. But I think what Jesus is saying has to do both with the fact that what he's come to accomplish is going to, figuratively speaking, set the world on fire. Have you ever heard that phrase from somebody? Boy, I'm telling you what, he's about to set it on fire now. What he's talking about is he's about to do or say something. He's about to, to, to walk into something that is really going to turn the tables on what's happening. We're going to go from thinking everything's nice and fine and lovely, and then all of a sudden we're looking for buckets to bail out this problem. That happens to y'all at work all the time. Things are going smooth from 7.05 to 7.10. By 7.15, you got a fire blaze. It takes you, John, till 5 o'clock to get the fire put out, right? Because it's not always real fire. Sometimes he's just talking about things are about to get fun. I wonder also, though, if Jesus wasn't referring to the ultimate fire that he will bring as judge. Now again, if you read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, a little bit of Daniel, a whole lot of Ezekiel, you're going to learn about this thing called the day of the Lord. If you flip all the way to the end of your Bible, you're going to read a really strange book called Revelation. It's going to be a lot of fire, going to be a lot of devastation going on in that respect. You say, Pastor Kevin, what does Oasis Church believe about all of that end time stuff? I'm going to tell you, and, and you're going to go away happy. Oasis Church believes everything it says in here. All right? We believe it all. Everything it says, we believe it. But we're going to be real honest. We don't understand it all. 
We don't understand how it all fits together. Now, do I believe that there is a judgment and that there will be catastrophic events that come when God brings his redemptive plan to a conclusion? I absolutely do believe that. Do I believe that like the book of Revelation talks about the the pit opening up and these scorpion-like things with wings and stuff coming out and flying around and stinging people? Do I believe that those things are actually life-size humanoid scorpion things? You know, I tend to think he's probably being figurative there. I tend to think he's probably not talking about something exactly literal but possibly something metaphorical. But the bottom line is, one of these days, if that pit opens up and those alien-looking creatures come up out of it, I'm going to say, God said it was coming. I just didn't understand it. There they are. They're scary. And you say, well, I'm not going to be here. Well, we also have some agreement in that, but we don't want to drive stakes in the ground. But here's what Peter says. And remember, Peter was in this audience. Peter was hearing Jesus say something about casting fire to the earth. And at this point, I believe that Peter was more confused than we are. Because Peter didn't have any of the New Testament books. Peter didn't have any of the things that Paul said. Any of the things that the writer of Hebrews said. And he certainly didn't have any of the things that John was ultimately going to write from a cave on an island many, many years later. But as Peter walked with the Lord post-resurrection and ascension, here's what Peter said in his second letter to those believers in the region. Second uh, Peter 3, 3 through 10 says, Peter goes, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What do scoffers do? They scoff. <laughs> okay, what does scoffing mean? It means they make fun of. They reject and they make fun of and they call you funny names that you would believe such silliness. Following their own sinful desires, these scoffers will come. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Y'all have been saying for centuries, Jesus is coming back. Where is he at? Well, I, I don't, maybe y'all wrong. Maybe I've been wrong about this all along. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. These people said that he's coming back, and they died, and we buried him. He ain't come back yet. Some more folks have died and said he was coming back. We buried them. He ain't come back yet. Y'all must have got what he said wrong. They deliberately overlooked this fact, Peter says. All the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then was deluged with water and perished. You know, God created the, the separated the land from the water and he called everything good. And then humanity grew and, and became uh, disobedient to the point that God decided to destroy the earth. And how did he do so? By the flood, and then that flood was over, and the dry ground was seen again. By the same word of the by the by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for what class? Fire. I think Peter's talking about purification, yes, but I think he's talking about judgment too. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, laying out the day of the Lord. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. Don't say that one day is a thousand years for the Lord. He's just saying God doesn't operate on time like we do. He's just saying, we're looking at a day, and, you know, God say, yeah, y'all keep talking about days, and I live outside of time. What's happening with y'all, I'm sovereign over, I'm, uh, I'm involved in, but that's got nothing to do with me or my will. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. God's not tardy. Some folks are saying God's tardy. He hadn't showed up on time. God's like, I'm not on your time. And don't count him slow. But the Lord is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
Now, there are some who believe that that word, since God wills that all should reach repentance, that means that all will reach repentance. I reject that. I don't believe that God is going to force anyone to receive him. I don't believe that all will ultimately be saved. If that were true, there would be no wide road that leads to destruction. And why bother going down the narrow road that leads to, uh, to, to glory if I could just ride down the big road and be fun-loving and do what I please because in the end we're all going to get in? I reject it. And so do Most who believe that confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. But the Lord is patient in bringing this judgment because He desires that all should should repent. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I think Jesus has already alluded to that in our chapter. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You say, then what? Well, then fast forward to Revelation 21 where the writer talks about, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. When God destroys what is broken, he will replace it with what is new. It's the exact same thing he does with the repentant sinner who lays down their life, lays down everything they have at the feet of Jesus and says, I have nothing to offer you except my confession that you are God and that your death and resurrection has made possible salvation for me. And Paul says, when we do that, the old is gone, the new comes. And then we live with new life, with the hope of resurrection when we will experience that new life To the full, I think Jesus is referring both to the judgment that is his to do, that will come, but also that when all of these things transpire, what things, Jesus, this baptism he's talking about, when all of these things transpire, what's going to happen? Boy, it's going to light a fire. And I mean, it's going to be a blaze like the world has never seen. But until then, I have a baptism to be baptized with. What is this baptism? I think it's his distress in Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal, where he, where he pours out his soul in anguish prior to becoming sin, according to the Apostle Paul. In anguish, wishing that it did not have to be that he was separated from his father doing for you and for me what the Godhead so lovingly and graciously willed. He agonized over that reality. And then he looked into the face of one of his own who kissed him in absolute betrayal for the price of a slave and then taken before human authorities, (coughs) many of which should have known and probably did know everything about him and yet still chose to reject him because his message did not meet theirs. And then ultimately he would hang naked on a cross, suffering, bleeding, dying for those like you and me who could not have purchased our own redemption. He said before judgment comes, before that fire is set, and I mean, it's, it's starting now, but before it gets blazing, I've got to go through this baptism. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. You, you know that, you see that word, accomplished? I love that word. Th- think with me. Fast forward in your mind to the story. Bill, you are a fine feller indeed. Think with me in the story. <clears throat> Jesus is on the cross. He's suffering He's coming to the end of his life. He knows that his last breaths are going to be taken. He looks up into the heavens and he cries out his last words. Anybody want to tell me what those three words are? It is finished. It's accomplished. What no one but him could do, he's done. And it's over. Sin has been dealt with. 
Humanity has been brought to the, to the threshold of forgiveness and redemption. Those that have looked forward to what was coming and by faith they trusted that God had a plan to bring, bring sin to a completion. Those, those servants like Moses and Abraham and David and the prophets that, that knew something was coming through this one Messiah, but they didn't know what Jesus brought what they had hoped for to completion. Jesus brought what we wouldn't know about for many centuries. He brought it to accomplishment. Jesus says the judge is here, but the judge will first be redeemer. And then he goes on to say that redemption is what will cause division. He goes, do you think that I've come, verse 51, to give peace on earth, I think those of us who know our scriptures say, um, yeah, I, I, I thought that's what you were here to do. I mean, I, I think about what, Isaiah 9, 6. What, what, what did Isaiah call him? The prince of peace. I think about Luke two fourteen. Shepherds on the field, minding their own business. Angels show up, scare them to death, start singing, talking about peace on earth. Where's this at? It's in a manger, just around the corner. Y'all go check him out. He's wrapped up. Mom and dad are excited. Peace on earth. I think about John 14, verse 27, when Jesus is on his way toward that time of, of suffering. He says, I'm leaving you with peace. My peace I'm leaving. You're like, wait, I, I thought that all of these verses... We're, we're signifying that Jesus had come to bring peace on earth. And then I think about John 3, verse 18 to 21, where, where he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I come so that the world might be saved through me. That's verse 17. I didn't have it put on the screen. I didn't come to condemn you. I come to save you. Well, then wait a minute. Why now, Jesus, are you saying that you've come to bring division? Verse 51. No, I tell you, but rather, not peace. I come to bring division. It's because the Prince of Peace and peace on earth and, and redemption are not forced on humanity. They're made available... For the worshiper who worships the one who is the giver of peace. We think, I'd like to, what was the song? I'd, I'd like to see the world sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Because if everybody just had a Coca-Cola, we could just all drink it on, on you know, the same, we could... And just keep one another company. That's it. That's what the world needs, just a, a Coke. Or, or, or maybe, or maybe we just need the world's greatest rock and roll show where all the bands come and play. And, and if we could just have all the great bands play, then all the folks would come together and there would be peace, except for those country fans. You know, they wouldn't, they would riot at that. You know, we, we, we could just, if we could just get a, a, a president in the White House, they could work with everybody, Democrat, Republican, Russian, Iranian, Israeli. We could just find someone that could just bring everybody to the table. There'd be peace on earth. We've been trying, and we fail at every turn because we're not capable of that. And Jesus says, while I bring peace to the worshiper, why I take you from conflict internally, not knowing who you are or your purpose, and when by faith you trust me, I make all things new in you, and you have a different perspective, and you have a different outlook, and all of a sudden you have peace where before you only had turmoil and worry, and I bring all of your focus together on me where you just say the world can burn, Lord, I'm with you. That's peace for you. But for the world, me coming is just making the dividing line that much darker. He says, I didn't come to bring you peace. For from now on, in one house, there'll be five divided. 
the five people in your home, because of me, you're going to discover that even homes where, where it should be sweet fellowship and peace, you're going to find that houses are divided because of me. Three are going to be followers of me, and two are going to be rejectors of me. And it's going to cross these familial lines, and it's going to be horrible, and it's going to feel terrible. And folks are going to look and say, why would you ever want to follow somebody who brings so much division in this world? Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I guess Jesus was saying that father-in-laws and son-in-laws had enough to not like one another about. I doubt it. He just was making a broad statement. And he says, look, you think that Messiah was coming to set everything right. I'm coming to bring salvation. I'm coming to bring God's kingdom And it all looks upside down. You're thinking peace? You're thinking I'm going to stomp out everyone who's not about peace? Bottom line is I'm just making it all the more difficult. While many embrace Jesus as Christ, many more reject him. And this often leads to hostile rejection, even by loved ones. You've read the accounts. Those that have been raised in in religions that are hostile in their own nature. And someone converts to Christianity. You hear about them being exiled from the family. Written out of the will. Considered to be dead. Don't talk to him or her anymore. They are dead to us. You think, how in the world, Jesus... Jesus says, I'm coming and folks are going to be divided over me. It's the two things that you try to avoid conversation. Even in our Western world on holidays, we certainly don't want to talk about politics. And we never want to talk about religion. But even broader than that, you say anything about a decision or a choice that you've made, Because of what Jesus has said in his word, and you know the fight has begun. Because Jesus brings division. You can follow him, but you'll be rejected. Today, if you boldly and consistently follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about if you obnoxiously and and brazenly tout your faith and condemn those around. I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about if you are a bold follower of Jesus who wants to live your life according to God's word and you're consistent about it, then you will very likely suffer rejection or what it's being called today, cancellation. I can't, one of my boys talked to us, we were kidding. We were kidding about something. They said, uh, you know, dad, you're going to get canceled if you say that. I'm like, Get canceled from what? I mean, you can't cancel something that ain't really got nothing going on. The bottom line is you'll be considered a radical fool if you try to follow Jesus. Do do I think that that kids ought to to follow the call of God in their life and and go get a solid education, even if that means going to schools that aren't aren't built around a a, a faith in Christ, but but are built on, on on the education of a particular arena? Sure. I think they should. I think they should go there. You know, because what what they are, if they're followers of Jesus, you know what they bring to those dark institutions? Light. They bring light to this. They bring Jesus to the institution. But I kind of tell you this, if you try to follow Jesus, young person, and, and you're going to a college or you're going to a, a place of education that does not know Jesus, if you try to follow him consistently, you'll be rejected. You'll be left out. You, you'll be cut through. You may be the most talented one, but you won't get the thing because your faith is contrary. You know what I say to that? I say, go be the best. And expect to be rejected and to see it 
as a small sacrifice to a much greater glory than anything you could have experienced by compromising your faith. Because that'll end and it'll be done and folks will forget about it and you won't even get enough folks who want to stand around and look at pictures of it. But what you do for Christ goes on for eternity. So I say go, do, be, be the best, but be prepared to be rejected. Because that's what Jesus does. And he looks to those that are listening and he talks to the crowd one step back and two steps back. Because you don't want to leave them out because they're part of the division. And you know what he loves? The ones that are divided. The, the ones that are the most active in trying to stop him and silence him and to get him out of the way. You know who he bled and died for? Those folks. And so he talks to those in the back that are deciding, have already decided they're going to reject him. And he says this to the crowds, 54. You guys are so good. When, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. If it's coming from the west, it's coming from the Mediterranean Sea. Makes sense. If the cloud's coming across, you know, okay, if it's coming from that direction, it's bringing sea air. It's bringing a rain shower. And hey, you know what? You're going to get that right a lot of the times. And when you see verse 55, <clears throat> when you see a south wind blowing, you say there'll be scorching heat. And it happens. And you don't even have Doppler radar. And you guys are great at predicting the weather. Because you look at what's going on, you see the signs, you, you go, hey, I can tell you it's going to be a scorcher today, or we're going to get some rain. You better bring your umbrella. You're great at that. But you're a bunch of fool hypocrites because it seems that you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. But you can't know how to interpret the present time. It's like Jesus was saying he didn't. But it's almost like he was saying, raise your hand if you were raised in synagogue. And everybody would have probably put their hands up. Somebody, somebody quote for me and he could have named one of the messianic psalms that had a, a prophecy that he had fulfilled in his words and his works. And he could, hey, well, why don't you quote for me psalm? And he names it and they quote it for him like, what do you reckon that means? Well, I, I reckon it means Jesus, you know, Messiah is going to do It's like, all right. Like you were with me last Wednesday. I did that. I've been telling y'all I'm the one. There's folks in the crowd saying we believe he's the one. And you're going, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. He's like, you guys, you can, you can tell the weather. But you can't come to the conclusion that what you see and hear of me is exactly what was prophesied about me. You're letting these guys that have taught you all your life, that don't like me, that have decided they're not going to follow me, you've let them convince you that it's not true. I can't tell you uh, how, how many folks have grown up in church hearing the, 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 the gospel proclaimed, and then they get cable, and they watch one thing around Easter time from some History Channel professor that says, he didn't really die, he just swooned, he just kind of fell asleep, and then they put this half-beaten, unrecognizable individual who had lost almost all his blood behind a large stone that he waited and listened and when everybody's asleep he pushed this thousands of pound stone out of the way and ran away well you know they've got a point no they don't they don't but Jesus is saying look you you need to recognize that being able to tell what the weather's going to be like is a whole lot less important than being able to read the room, read the signs, hear the words, watch the miracles, come to the conclusion. And I think still many of them looked at him with a questioning eye. He says, you have willing blindness to the signs. But then he moves on and says... You really, really need to exercise wise judgment. Let me give you an illustration, he says. I can't believe you can't judge what's right and wrong for yourself. 
this illustration, like you're going, verse 58, with your accuser before the magistrate. This is like, it's like if you get accused of something and you got a trial date and you're walking toward your court date and your accuser comes alongside of you, the one who has accused you of wrongdoing. He's taking you to the person who's going to decide whether or not there's enough evidence to put you before the judge. So Jesus is leaning toward the fact that you probably did what they accused you of. You're guilty of this, and you're on your way because you can't get around it. You're walking down the road with your accuser. You guys are smart enough that before you get there, you make an effort to settle with him on the way. As you're walking down the road, you guys are smart enough to know that it would be a wise thing when you're guilty and you know you're guilty and you're accused and you know you're on your way to judgment to go, hey, man, can, can we work this out? I mean, really, I'm sorry about what I did and I just really, I recognize that I'm on the hook. Can we, can we come to some gentleman's agreement before we get down here to the judge? Because if not, he's going to drag you to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to an officer. Probably like a monetary uh, uh, thing that has happened. He's going to hand you over to the one in charge of the debtor's prison. And then they're going to put you in prison until your debt is paid off. Now, that sounds like a catch-22. used to do jail ministry. I always used to baffle me. I would meet so many guys that were in jail. They were in jail for not paying their child support. Now, don't get me wrong. Man was supposed to pay his child support. He's supposed to do it. He didn't do it. There needs to be consequences. But I'm like, so how you get out of here? He's like, well, I owe $5,000. Like, hey, how you going to make that $5,000 in jail? He's like, right? <laughs> right? How, how, how do you get out of debtor's prison? Pay off your debt. How do you pay your debt in debtor's prison? Aha. So Jesus is like, you know, it's, it's not going to be good, right? You're going to get down there. He's going to convict you. He's going to put you in debtor's prison. I tell you, verse 59, you'll never get out. If you go to debtor's prison, if you go before the judge and they bring down that verdict, you're not going to get out of debtor's prison until you've paid off every cent. The idea is you're not going to get out of debtor's prison. If you wait till the last minute, if you just, instead of doing what is wise, instead of doing what you can, instead of reading the signs and going, this makes total sense, I had to be a fool to reject this, you could make this right, and you could be reconciled with the one you have offended, and maybe get a little mercy out of them. Romans 5.11 says, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because through Him, we have now received reconciliation. I think what Jesus is saying, look, you, you guys know how to get your earthly things right, and you should. You should make this right before you ever get to the judge. But bigger than that, I mean bigger than that, wouldn't you rather, going back to last week's illustration, wouldn't you rather have your lamp ready? Wouldn't you rather be busy about when, the, when the, the master returns home? Wouldn't you rather have that? Wouldn't that be smarter to be with him than to be rejected by him? But y'all got to decide. And many of them would go home with just as evil a heart against him as they came. Others would go home with just as, well, I'll come back tomorrow and listen to what you have to say tomorrow. He wanted the disciples to know, they're going to reject me. And they're going to reject you because they reject me. So be ready for that. Following me will bring hostile rejection. So what about some personal application? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, what, what, if, what if you came today and if just in your honest heart of hearts, you know about Jesus, you know the things, you think, he, you think he's a good guy. You might even think he's the son of God. 
You might even believe everything we've taught, but you've never placed your trust in his death and resurrection as payment for your sin. You've never come to the one who made you and says, God, know that, that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I want to be made right with you through Jesus. I, I don't want to just know about him. I just don't want to have a, a faith in the true things. But I, I want my faith to be what connects me to him, connects me to you through him. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want you to set my feet in the direction I will go. And then I want to follow you. I want to be in your family. I want to be numbered among your people. If you've never come to that place, today is the day to surrender. Today's the day just to throw up your hands and say, I can't. But you did. So I will receive you as my Savior. I will trust you. I will be brought into you because of what has been done for me. Don't wait till it's too late. Well, I'll come back next week. Really? Who do you know that's not here this year that was here last year? And there was the day after. When they were here today, but gone tomorrow. Now's the time. Don't wait till you stand before the judge. Guilty as charged. With nothing to offer except your sin. When your sin could be dealt with, forgiven. You could be set free, given a new name, a new destiny, and a new purpose for today. As a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, remember this. Jesus is the cause of division. Don't you be the cause of division as a follower of Jesus. He doesn't need your help. And probably what we're doing to cause division is not reflecting well on him anyway. So get off of Facebook. Quit judging everybody and just let them see your life lived faithfully and consistently and boldly. Let your changed life demonstrate what is possible if we'll just simply surrender. But don't go walking around trying to set goats and sheep apart. That ain't your job. And it looks bad on him. And then everybody remember this. Peace should follow believers. And believers should be pursuers of peace. But don't you leave from here expecting peace to reign on earth until Jesus himself reigns on earth. And then there'll be no stopping the peace he brings. Walk in peace. Be settled in your mind. Be an agent of peace. When you step into the room, just let there be an air of, okay, somebody's going to bring some love into this place and, and it's, we're going to be able to get through it. Be someone who pursues peace with those who are contrary to you. But expect division because it's around every corner. They rejected him, they'll reject you. But guess what? He was raised victorious and so too will we. If by faith we've trusted and are following him. Amen? All right, then. Well, let's stand up. We'll pray. Maybe it is that you don't know Christ with heads bowed and with eyes closed. It's just as simple and honest as, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve punishment and, and I'm guilty and I... I deserve your judgment, but I believe that you love me. And I believe that you provided God the Son in my place for my sin. And his death has provided forgiveness for me. I believe his resurrection has secured my salvation and I trust you with all my heart. Or maybe, believer, maybe you haven't experienced division. 
because the world doesn't see in you the Jesus that divides. Right now would be a great time just to confess that as sin. And God, will you bring me back into a right walk? Confess those things that have caused you to drift. Come back into fellowship. Step in the way that is divided. And let his light shine in you. So, Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you will help us to see division not as something to be combative against. Forgive us where we have been rejected and because of our expectations, we expect to be uh, embraced. We expect to be given a voice. We expect to be treated kindly. That's not at all what you said. Jesus, you said we would experience difficulty and rejection and I pray that you will give us courage to be rejected give us boldness to just be canceled and to keep following you God help our life to reflect Jesus accurately purge away what needs to go so that that light might be seen more clearly God, we pray for those that are hurting, those that are confused, those that are sick and in need. We want to lift up, uh, I think about uh, Lori's family and this situation of the cancer that's in their life. We just pray for this one. We ask that you would touch their body. We believe you can heal them. It's of... It's of, of uh, It's of no work for you to heal. You just say and it be done. We ask that that would be your will, that you would heal this one of the cancer, remove it, that you provide wisdom, peace, confidence in your presence. Father, pray for Norman. He's now in a different place, working to get back healthy. I just pray that you'll give him strength that you'll restore him to health. And and others that are sick and hurting, God, we just ask that you would provide what is needed. Give us direction this week. Show us the way we're to walk. Give us courage when we're rejected in that way. We love you and we trust you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.